Uh, welcome back. Uh, today I'm talking to Robert Swift from Delft Partners. Robert has over 35 years experience managing investments globally with a specific emphasis on Asia. Robert, nice to speak to you again. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Give me your views on the world, where we are now, particularly inflation, China, uh, where the best places to invest are given the opportunities and the current risks. Hello, Chris. Well, that's that's certainly a big a big mandate you've just given me. I think that the world um, is, is looking um, different from how it did even six months ago. And by that, we mean that we're seeing quite a lot of new policy initiatives coming out of the USA, which tends to drive policy in other countries. Low inflation um, is, I think, something in the rearview mirror. I think that inflation is going to be on the rise, um, facilitated by years and years of very, very easy money and effectively the creation of a big uh, monetary base in the central banking system. Once that is unleashed, we think that there's going to be insufficient supply but a lot of demand, and that typically leads to inflation. So we see inflation hedges as being a key part of your portfolio. Equities, of course, are one of the best inflation hedges, and fixed income is one of the chief um, victims of, of, of inflation unleashed into the system. So are you, you generally optimistic uh, about things as they are, or are you just optimistic about equities and not about fixed income? I think that to be an equity investor, you have to be optimistic anyway in your DNA, right? I mean, equity holders probably don't realize this, but you are at the bottom of the queue when it comes to getting paid. You're only left with the residual profit after all the other bills have been settled. So to be an equity investor, you have to believe that things are going to turn out okay. We're moderately optimistic, if only because of this switch in the macro policy that we've seen. I think that we are on record as saying that to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result is the definition of insanity. And by that, we mean that low interest rates have really only benefited a small number of people. They've benefited the people who've already got the assets and the wealth. It's been monetary policy for, for rich people. It hasn't really generated anything in the way of a sustainable um, boost to economic activity. There's rising disparities in income, rising disparities in wealth. So now that policy has been joined by a big fiscal splurge which is the infrastructure bill, plus quite a lot of transfer of, of, of money into the household sector under the cloak of COVID, we think that that's actually going to be beneficial because the fiscal spending on infrastructure has quite a powerful multiplier effect. And so actually, for the first time, we think fundamentally things are looking a bit better. How that fiscal spending gets paid for is a moot point, but certainly we see the benefits now of loose money and loose fiscal coming through to, to, to the, the detriment of, of fixed income and to the benefit of equities, but not the equities that have been good for the last 10 years. We think that's an important distinction to make. We're seeing a shift in the kinds of equities that are going to benefit from this new policy of loose money and loose fiscal. And is that towards listed infrastructure type equities in particular? Yeah, I think that we've categorized the themes to play as being listed infrastructure and utilities. We've, we've had a listed infrastructure strategy in place for four or five years. That's getting a lot of news flow now, that particular segment of the marketplace. We also like companies that actually make things, that do things that are useful to society, whether it's reducing carbon emissions or whether it's making productivity go up 
those companies have been uh, ignored by other market players for quite a while. And we're talking about companies like Rockwell or Johnson Controls or Quanta. These are companies that make things. They're the industrial companies that used to drive the economy. And those are going to come back into fashion. And lastly, we, we like um, a lot of what we call true technology. These are companies that make semiconductors, make semiconductor testing equipment. These are companies that actually are chemical companies that actually help create the semiconductors that drive much of what we enjoy today as consumers. And these are companies like Shinetsu Chemical, KLA, Advantest, etc. So we think those are the kinds of things that you ought to be exposed to in your portfolio. And we see a significant amount of regulatory risk coming in for the big stocks, the big tech stocks. So we think there are five bills now in front of Congress that are specifically designed to reduce the power of and even break up the FANG stocks in the USA. That's going to continue, we believe. So you want to be out of those companies, in our opinion. And you've also got potential regulatory risk coming from China's new stance. Um, is that factored into your views of the future? Yeah, I think that the risk on big data, the risk on technology companies has gone up, the risk premium goes up, the PE ratio typically should come down. So there's no doubt in our mind that the Chinese are looking to reduce the number of companies listed in the USA. The Chinese are deliberately targeting their tech companies, and I think they want to build the Hong Kong exchange as being a rival to the New York Stock Exchange, and will look to get in the way of any IPO listing in the USA of a Chinese company. So you're seeing the breakdown of a global capital market financial system. It's effectively balkanized into different regions now. Yeah, in interesting times. Given your views on infrastructure, where do you see resources going? We think we could be at the start of a resources super cycle. There's a number of reasons for that. One of which, of course, is the, the shift to green. Um, not a lot of people realize that, that the, the intensity with which uh, resources are used to move towards green electric vehicles, et cetera, is actually a multiple between six and nine times as intense in terms of resource utilization as it used to be under the old system of just simply using the old fossil fuels. So there's going to be a big shift in um, the demand for lithium and cobalt. And these, um, the mining of this and the processing of this does actually come at a cost. So you've got that shift to new minerals, which will have to be found. And those minerals are typically in Brazil and Africa and China. And I think there's another shift coming, which is that a lot of the stuff that we still will need, such as copper, there's no new supply coming on. So if you were to look at the average grade or the head grade of some of these mines, such as Escondida, that copper head grade has been going down quite significantly and it's costing a lot more to dig it out of the ground. So you've got this inexorable increase in demand for copper that's not going away with the greening of the economies, but the supply isn't coming on stream because of the greening of the economies. And so we think there's going to be a super cycle coming, which will of course benefit BHP, Rio, Fortescue. And we do own some of those companies in the global portfolios. Robert, the overall impression I get of your view is that you're particularly optimistic about equities. I think it's fine to say that, you know, equities have benefited the wealthy. Uh, I think equities by nature uh, are generally the domain of the wealthy anyway. Uh, but you seem to be much more positive than the last time we spoke when we were more concerned about inflation and very high debt levels globally. Is that the mm. case? I think that's the case. And the reason that we've, if you like, become slightly less concerned is that 
the introduction of the fiscal spending, no matter how it's going to be paid for, the introduction of the fiscal spending finally provides um, a, proper, a proper multiplier to the world economy, will allow um, people to get to work, will allow job creation, will actually begin the process of uh, broadening out the um, economic activity and the economic recovery. In the absence of any big fiscal program, simply relying on lower interest rates and the central bank buying bonds was never going to produce anything other than an increase in asset prices for the already wealthy. So I think that we're seeing, uh, which is what's causing us to change our mind, we're seeing a shift in policy. I think it will unleash inflation at the moment. And, and this is quite an interesting debate. The thinking at the moment is to stop inflation running away too much is that they're going to try and reduce the power of, of monopolies and monopsonies. Um, that is to say, they're going to try and reduce the power of big companies, and they're going to rely on the breakup and the FTC to keep a lid on inflation. And that's a very, very different tactic from that which was employed in the 1970s. So I think we're going to see the, the trifecta of low interest rates at the short end, certainly, which is the bit they can control. We're going to see quite a lot of fiscal spending initiatives come through, and thirdly, we're going to see a lot more government regulation. And that's a recipe for smaller companies. Regulation typically targets large companies, looks to break up large company power. And so if there's a fourth theme along with infrastructure, industrials and true tech, the fourth theme would be to favour small over large. Rob, fascinating to talk to you. I always get a huge amount out of our conversations. Uh, stay safe in lockdown and we'll look forward to speaking to you in the not too distant future. Great. You too, Chris, and thanks for the time.